The RSVP Trust, changing lives around the world. I don't know if you've ever felt like giving up, but I think most of us do it one time or another. And uh, I think two or three people, or maybe more really, have contacted me in one way or another this week to say that they're struggling at the very least, and some felt like giving up uh, completely. And so I just want to uh, think about what we do in that situation, because if you've not felt like that, I can assure you at some stage in your life you probably are going to come like, feel like that, because the devil uh, will come at you. And uh, I want to begin looking at some words that Peter wrote to the early disciples in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. And uh, if we know that trouble is coming... Uh, and Jesus put it this way, if he knew what time the burglar was coming, you'd have been ready for the burglar. <laughs> so uh, Peter is saying that we can be ready beforehand. If you are aware that trouble's coming, you can actually prepare for it and be ready for it. Uh, so he says in verse 8 of 1 Peter 5, be sober. And that's not just about, you know, restraining on the red wine or whatever is your beverage, but be sober-minded. Uh, be clear-minded. Um, you know, when we have difficulties or we have to make big decisions, we talk about, you know, we're going to sleep on it and make the decision in the cold light of day. So he's really talking about be clear-minded and, and thoughtful about what you do. And then he says, be vigilant, because your adversary, uh, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So there's a couple of things there. One is that there's some things that we have to do. Sometimes we think, well, we'll just trust God and then everything will just be fine. And uh, one thing that was said to me this week, well, we trusted God, but it's all going wrong. <laughs> so we have to go back and think, yeah, there's a big bit that God does, but there's some stuff. We're not puppets. There's some stuff that we have to do. That's true of every relationship. That's, you know, it'd be like saying, well, we got married, but she's left me. I didn't speak to her for 40 years. <laughs> we didn't have anything in common, and, you know, I didn't ever speak to her. Well, that's why she's left you. So there's a bit of, you know, there's something to do on both sides of the relationship. So Peter says our thing is to be sober and vigilant. So we need to be ready and understand that some of the things that happen to us are our own stupid mistakes, and some of the things that happen to us are attacks from the devil. If you run up a large bill on a credit card, and then uh, the bank forecloses on your mortgage and takes your house away, that's not an attack from the devil, that's your bad money management, and we don't need to be blaming God or the devil for that. So we need to be vigilant at other things that we could do. And we need to be vigilant because he says the devil is like... A roaring lion, he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now the good news is he doesn't get to devour everyone he seeks to devour. But uh, if a lion walked in today, I wonder what your reaction would be. We normally see them in zoos behind strong bars, but I remember when I went to Africa for the second time, we went on safari and we saw some zebras and everything and we stayed on the bus and we saw some antelope. And then the guide says, there's some lions, everyone off the bus. And I thought, no. No, there's some lions. 
let's stay on the bus and keep the bus moving. And people got off the bus. And there were lions, and I didn't get off the bus because I thought lions are dangerous. You don't want to be near uh, a lion. And um, another time we took some people to that uh, safari park, and, uh, and we, the one thing we didn't see was lions. And uh, we wondered where the lions were because we'd seen them on this previous occasion. And when we got back to Kampala in the city, the headline was that the lions, because when it says National Park, I thought it was like Knowlesley Safari Park in Liverpool that has some animals, but has a big railings around it. But when you see the size of the national parks in Africa, obviously there aren't enough railings in the world <laughs> to keep the animals, and nobody told the animals whether to stay. And they, they wander in and out of national borders. And uh, the headline was that the lions had gone into this town called Kasese, which is the last bit of civilization before you come to the national park. And people in that village, in their little shacks, they had goats tied up outside the house. And when they woke up in the morning, there was just this blood-stained rope where the goat had been tied up, because the lions had gone in in the night. And the story was that a night watchman was going home at sort of 5 a.m., out of this industrial area and he cycled round the corner on his bike and there was a lion stood in the middle of the road. Doesn't happen much in Stowmarket, does it? But anyway, this is what this guy found. There's a full-grown lion growling at him, stood in the middle of the road, blocking his path. And so the story was that he'd, he'd survived. He leapt off his bicycle, thought quickly, and he picked up the bicycle and hit the lion on the head with the bicycle and the, and the lion ran away. And that, that was the story in the paper. And uh, uh, whether it's about bicycles, but verse 9 says, resist him. <laughs> resist the devil. So he's like a roaring lion, but just because you cycle around the corner as a lion doesn't mean that it's all over. There's a way of resisting. If you've got a great big cast iron bicycle, smack the lion over the head. So there's again, there's something else that we need to do. That when the devil comes, we mustn't just admit defeat, but we must resist uh, the devil. And we can do that through prayer, through worship, through seeing what God says about our situation and stirring our faith up. But we're to resist him. And then it says steadfast in the faith. We have to be steadfast in our faith. All sorts of stuff is going to happen. You know, we've had this economic collapse and the whole world is saying, no, no, can we keep capitalism and commercialism alive because it's, it's all going down the pan. All these things are going to keep happening and there'll be instability from time to time. But people of faith, God is looking to remain steadfast. Uh, you know, when the early Christians were being fed to lions in the Colosseum, uh, there's great stories about people being steadfast. Uh, there's one of my favourite heroes is a man called Polycarp, who was a disciple of the disciple John. And he was 90 years old and they were going to execute him. And they were telling him to deny Christ. And he says, but Christ has been my master and my saviour for all these years, for 40 years. And he has never failed me and never deserted me. Why would I desert him? And then he began taunting, taunting the executioner and saying, bring the fire, if you're going to burn me, make the fire big. Bring the sticks now and burn me, because I shan't deny Christ. Why do you delay? Bring the dogs, bring the lions. And he went to his death in steadfastness of faith. Now, it's not necessarily likely that you and I are going to face that kind of end. Some of us may do, but it's unlikely. 
But when trouble comes, we're to remain steadfast in the faith. And when Paul said at the end of his life, I've run the race, I've kept the faith, he didn't mean he'd stuck it in a museum for you to go and see. (laughs) In a little glass box. That wasn't keeping the faith that he was talking about. He meant he'd been steadfast to the end. He'd kept the faith. And so when trouble comes, we need to uh, not be intimidated by trouble, but keep the faith uh, steadfastly. Knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. And that's the one thing the devil will tell you as a lie when trouble comes, is that only you are going through this. And recently I had some difficulties and I I felt really under attack. And I felt I was the only one. And then I found someone who'd had an almost identical challenge, almost in the same geographical area, and almost at the same time. And the thing is, the things that we face, many people in, in, in the faith of Christ are suffering the same things the world over. And I don't know about you, but when I get trouble, and then I see someone else has got some different trouble, I always say, Lord, I'll have their trouble, because I think I could handle that one. <laughs> if we could swap, I think I could go through what they're going through, but I don't want to go through what I'm going through. But the thing is, you know, we have to... Uh, stir ourselves up and be steadfast in the faith and there's someone somewhere is struggling with the same thing that you're struggling with I just want to look very briefly at an incident in David's life in 1 Samuel chapter 30 where everything went wrong and what David did and although obviously the letter of Peter was written centuries later David did some of these things when the devil came to attack And in 1 Samuel 30, it says that it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, I've got my teeth in this morning, and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great, and they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. And so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. So these are mainly men who were crying, and they've cried until they've got no more cry left in them. And they had no more power left to weep. And it says that the the women and children have been taken into captivity and they wept until they couldn't weep anymore. So you can imagine the grief. All their houses had been burnt down, everything they'd worked for. And David's two wives, Ahinahur, there, and the Jezreelites, and Abigail, uh, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. So not only has he come back from his travels and his victories and that all the houses are burnt down and all the women and children have been taken into captivity, but now everyone's blaming him because he's the leader. And that's often the way. Anything goes wrong, oh, it's the leader's fault. I, you know, I don't want to be prime minister or you know, the leader of anything big and public because you get the blame for the weather and all sorts. And so, although it wasn't David's fault, he got the blame. He got the blame for it because it had all gone wrong. And the people were, uh, spoke of stoning him. 
because the soul of all the people was grieved and every man for his sons and daughters. And then it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. You see, sometimes there isn't anyone to go and be encouraged by. There isn't anyone we can talk to. We're, we're in a mess and we're under attack and there is no one and there is only God. And it says at that time that David strengthened himself in the Lord, that he had to stir himself up. It didn't say he hit the bottle or, you know, he gave up or, you know, he just resigned. He strengthened himself in the Lord. And we'll all have different ways of doing that. For me, I like to hear uh, preachers who preach faith and confidence. That stirs me up. I like to listen to some worship songs that really tell me about how God uh, loves us and cares for us and is jealous for us. And I have to, uh, even if I don't want to, I kind of put myself under the, those sounds to stir myself up, to encourage myself in the Lord, because sometimes there isn't anyone. And then he had an idea. He called the priest uh, and they brought uh, the ephod, which is what they used to consult the Lord. So in verse 8, it says, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So God says to him, they've stolen everything. And you've inquired of me, and here's the plan. Go after them, because I'm going to be with you. And not only will you get back your wives, but you will recover all. And God's plan is for you to recover all that Satan has stolen from you. Every attack that you've come under in your life, God's plan is for you to recover all. Because he's the God of restoration. And then down in verse 17, it says that David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. That tells us it can be a fight to get a breakthrough. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. And so, it says in verse 18, David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. But the key thing is he recovered all. And God wants us to be bold men and women who can rise up and recover all that Satan has stolen from us. Verse 19, there. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons and daughters, spoil or anything, which uh, uh, they had taken from them. Uh, David recovered all, it repeats a third time. So David recovers all. I heard, um, I heard a phrase uh, recently, and I thought it was a fantastic phrase. You know, sometimes we have this saying, it's not over till the fat lady sings, referring to some operas. <laughs> where in the last scene a large lady comes on and sings and then you know the opera's finished. Uh, but I heard a phrase that said it's not, open, it's not over till the barren woman sings, referring to Isaiah 54 where it says, Sing, O barren woman, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not laboured with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. In other words, even while she was barren, God says, Sing. You know, there are two ways of worshipping. One is uh, like Miriam when they crossed the Red Sea, when it was all over and the victory was won. You can grab your tambourine. We can all be a Miriam when you've seen what God has done. But when it says that David uh, encouraged himself or stirred himself up in the Lord, it's, it's an act of faith. And so Isaiah has this picture of a barren woman and says, Sing, O barren woman. So before the miracle has come, begin to sing and praise God. 
And I would say in, uh, back in 1987 when my son died, I didn't know all these things, but that's what I did. And I just focused on worshipping God. And I would say that that, that that praise of God, thinking, I don't know what's happening. It all looks like it's going wrong. But I know that God is God and he's still worthy of praise. And when we put God in his right place, he can put some of the things in our lives in, that, in their right place. And so I want to encourage you this morning that it's not the day to give up. It's not the day uh, just to resign from your faith, but it's the time to resist the devil, be steadfast in your faith, and, and stir up a spirit of worship in you. Whatever presses your buttons, it might be a Welsh choir, it might, it might be the latest rock band Christians, I don't know what it is, but you need to stir up your faith in the Lord and God will come and meet you. And I believe we can, like David, recover all. The RSVP Trust. Changing lives around the world.